between adoration of the Lord Jesus in chapter 1, and then we have chapter 2, seven churches, and then uh, 2 and 3, and then chapter 4 is another peek into the heavenly worship of, uh, of Jesus. So Jesus stands supreme, even though it's such a mess in the seven uh, churches. Jesus is to be adored, worship. Jesus is mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. So first, approval. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, right, verse 19, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, service, perseverance, you are doing more than you did at first. And so there was increasing fruit of the spirit of love and faith and perseverance and patience. And this is also mentioned, and, and the Bible is consistent, this is also mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 1, which says this, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, your virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And verse 8, for if these qualities, if these Christ-like qualities, if these fruit of the Spirit qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's got to be increasing. It's got to be more than at first. And for those of you who study science, you will know about a phenomenon, a phenomenon called entropy. Entropy means like if you leave things alone, it will just degenerate. Things will decline into disorder. And I came across this quotation from A.W. Tozer uh, in his book, The Root of the Righteous, and this chapter is called The Hunger for Wilderness. Let me read it. It says, every farmer knows the hunger of the wilderness. That hunger which no modern farm machinery, no improved agricultural method can ever quite destroy. No matter how well prepared the soil, how well kept the fences, how carefully painted the buildings, let the owner neglect for a while his prized land, a prized and valued acres, and they will revert again to the wild and be swallowed up by the jungle or the wasteland. The bias of nature is toward the wilderness, never toward the fruitful field. And just as in science or in the natural, this phenomenon called entropy, there is also spiritual entropy. If you just kind of like relax and, and leave things as they are, it will degenerate. If the fruit of the Spirit is not increasing, if Christ-likeness is not increasing, it does not stay constant. It will decline into the spiritual wilderness. And that's uh, the, the concept here that is in Revelation, that is also in Second Peter. And then the Lord Jesus had a second word of approval for the church in Thyatira. He says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, in verse 24, to you who do not hold on to Jezebel's teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. We'll talk more about that later. Let's move on to accusation. What did the Lord Jesus Christ criticize the Thyatiran church for? For tolerating Jezebel, a false prophetess, for refusing to repent. And so what happens in verse 20? For tolerating immorality, sexual immorality, for tolerating idolatry of food and feasting that is offered to the idols and for indulging in Satan's so-called deep secrets. We'll explain more about that later. And moving on to admonition. In verse 22, repent. Otherwise, there will be a bed of suffering. Otherwise, your children will also be affected and they will die. In verse 23, you are example to all the churches a bed of suffering comes from a bed of sin, very likely, because we're talking about sexual immorality and sexually transmitted disease. And nowadays, you and I know, uh, particularly AIDS and even gonorrhea and, and syphilis can be passed on to the children. And this verse is very clear. And then verse 22, that all the churches will know that Jesus, I am the one who searches hearts and mind, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. And in effect, the Lord Jesus was saying that Tathira, 
you set an example, all the churches are watching, and you will see later what a terrible example the church of Thyatira set. And then the Lord commanded the Thyatirians to hold fast to sound teaching. And here is a very interesting contrast between the church in Ephesus, where the doctrine was sound, but they lack love. They have lost their first love. But in Thyatira, the love was growing, but they were participating, they were tolerating wrong teaching, wrong doctrines. And indeed, it's not as though the Lord in the, the letters to the seven churches is imposing such a great burden on, uh, on, on us and on Christians. Indeed, He says, I will not impose any other burden on you. Just, just get out of uh, idolatry. Get out of immorality. And again, Scripture is consistent. In the, you remember in Acts uh, chapter 15 where there was this big Jerusalem uh, council and they had a discussion, kind of like a diaconate meeting, and they decided, yes, sexual immorality, uh, serving food, uh, uh, having food offered to idols, idolatry, just keep this and you will do well. And again, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. They are not burdensome. Just keep them. Now we move on to assurance. In verse 26, to him who overcomes, and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. And that is also found in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. He will rule with an iron scepter, found in Psalm chapter 2, verse 9. And I will give him the morning star. And scripture interprets scripture, and Revelation chapter 2, verse 16, tells us that the morning star is Jesus. I'm going to give you all of me, like John Legend does, all of me. And this was a reward so great that it's, it's kind of difficult for the first century people of Thyatira to, to fathom. Because who was a great power at the time? Only Rome. Rome is the one power on earth that has authority over the nations, the great Roman Empire. And, and they rule with an iron rod. You don't go against Rome and not be punished. But the Lord was saying, Thyatira, you're the smallest of the seven churches. If you obey my commandments, I will make you more powerful than Rome. And if you know Thyatira, today's name of Thyatira is called Akhisa, A-K-H-I-S-A-R. It is a small city in, in Turkey. And even at that time, today it's still small, at that time probably smaller, it was like an Ulu place. It was an industrial uh, a city, maybe maybe twice in the, 19, uh, in the 1990s. And all they had was like cottage industries. So approval, accusations, admonition. Now I do a second appeal. He who has an ear, let me hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So stay awake. Okay, stay awake. Right, who is Jezebel? Who was Jezebel that is featured so strongly in this letter? Well, if you read the Old Testament particularly 1st and 2nd Kings, and particularly 1st Kings chapter 16 onwards, you will find that Jezebel was a princess of Sidon. Sidon, there are, I think there are five cities along the coast of the Phoenicians. And she married King Ahab of Israel, Israel, the northern kingdom. If you look at the marriage, by human wisdom, it's an excellent marriage. It's so clever, it's so strategic, it's so political, but it was against commandments that uh, Jews must remain married to the Jews and not to heathen uh, uh, princesses. Well, the Israelites were, were poor farmers, but the Phoenicians, the, the, the princess of Sidon, they were rich sea traders. Right? One is from an Ulu farm, and they are the cosmopolitan, sophisticated people who sail the Mediterranean and uh, are rich. And getting married seems like a very, very clever thing to do. But it was against God's commandments and, and therefore it entered into a very sordid story of idolatry. Jezebel had 450 prophets of Baal reporting to her. Another 400 prophets of Asherah reporting uh, to her. And she was her husband's fixer. 
I think King Ahab was kind of a weak man when he wanted to buy the land that was adjacent to his palace. Um, Naboth refused to sell to him. He said, this, this land has been with me through the generations. I cannot sell it to you. And so he went in and sucked. Jezebel found out about this and said, I'll take care of it for you. And so she devised a very devious scheme, falsely accused Naboth, got him killed, and then she, nah, King Ahab, I got you your land, became the husband's fixer. She was the first person to prosecute the, uh, persecute the prophets of, of God, and Ahab was the first king to marry uh, a heathen uh, princess. And so the name Jezebel, the name Jezebel has been stamped in history and has become a byword for a woman who is crafty and malicious and revengeful and cruel. And I'm glad that in PPH, none of you are called Jezebel. Okay. So who in his right mind would call his daughter Jezebel? Or who in her right mind would call herself Jezebel? So just for the heck of it, I went to search on Facebook. Jezebel in Singapore. There are three. Jezebel Wong, Jezebel Lee, Jezebel Chan. Okay. And Jesus criticizes the, the church in Thyatira for tolerating Jezebel. Just tolerating Jezebel. But did you know that I had, Je I had a Jezebel live with me in my house for many years? And she was my Filipino a helper. So when she first came, in the first day I asked her, can I call you Jess? Or Jessie? Can I don't call you Jezebel? Then she said, my mother gave me that name, please call me Jezebel. I said, yes ma'am, I will call you Jezebel. <laughs> and she lived with me for, for many years. In fact, we brought her to Hong Kong uh, to help us there as well. Uh, a very good helper, very good helper in the 1990s. Some Bible commentators have said that this Jezebel that is mentioned in Thyatira is unlikely to be the real name of a woman prophet uh, and that it is a metaphor. Other commentators have said that Jezebel could well be the wife of the bishop of Thyatira. Okay, nobody really knows. But the teaching we know. Thyatira's Jezebel, what did she teach? Some deep things of Satan. What are these deep things? It is that you're a Christian, it's okay. It's okay to, to mix idolatry and immorality with Christianity. And it's likely to be the doctrine of Gnosticism, which was very popular in those days, that the body is bad, so the body can be left free to do anything it likes. Because when you die, the body dies. But the spirit, the spirit is important. The spirit is saved by the grace of God. And so it's a kind of libertinism, right? You're free to do anything uh, in the body. After all, God is gracious, God is love, and God will save your soul. But your body, you can do whatever you like. One of the most outstanding features of the city of Thyatira in those days was its trade guilds, as um, Dr. Winston uh, mentioned last uh, Sunday. And Thyatira was the headquarters, the HQ, for many of these trade guilds. And several old and ancient books uh, talks about these guilds. The, the first book on the left, published 1904, 1904. Let me read. During the Roman era, that means the first century AD, Thyatira was famous for its dyeing facilities and was the center of the purple cloth trade. It means you dye your cloth in purple color. Among the ancient ruins of the city, inscriptions have been found relating to the guild of dyers in the city. Indeed, more guilds are known in Thyatira than any other contemporary city in the Roman province of Asia. Inscriptions mention the following, wool workers, linen workers, makers of outer garments, dyers, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, slave dealers, bronze smiths. So there are all these different, different professions and different guilds. And then the, the, the book on the right, Ovid, was published in AD 8. So it's a first century in fact, eight years only, AD 8, and says that these guilds are associated with different gods and goddesses. So what are the features of these ancient trade guilds? Number one, every one of them, whether you're a dyer or metal worker or leather worker, 
each had a patron god or patron goddess. And they will have formal feasts to sacrifice your uh, uh, meat to these gods and then you have a, a, a feast together. And then in this feast or after this feast, there will be sexual orgies. It is, uh, it is the thing to do. It is business. So if you were a Christian craftsman or a Christian businessman in those days, you had a real dilemma. Do you tolerate it? Participate in it? And just say, after all, it's business and business is business. Or do you abstain? And if you do abstain, then it will affect your business. You may even lose your job if you are very low down the, the food chain and you don't join your bosses in these kind of things. The Bible mentions a lady by the name of Lydia who was a dealer in purple cloth. Purple is expensive cloth for royalty and nobles. And Acts chapter 16, verse 14 says this. One of those listening to Paul uh, was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So she was... Uh, from Thyatira, but in this Acts chapter 16, verse 14, uh, she and Paul were in Philippi, 605 kilometers apart. So I know this is only just one verse about Lydia, but it seems like she managed this dilemma uh, very well and continued in her faith. So Paul met Lydia in, in Philippi. So I kind of speculate that she relocated from Thyatira to Philippi, 605 kilometers away. It's kind of like from here to Penang, about that distance in those days when you walk and, and ride on a donkey. And I suspect she might well have suffered financial loss, but she couldn't take it anymore to, to be part of the guild in Thyatira and having to sacrifice the, 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 the god, gods and goddesses and having to witness all these uh, sexual orgies. This is my speculation. Problem is that this perverted tradition of trade guilds, uh, having patron gods and goddesses continue uh, today. Um, so there is a lady by the name of Saint Lydia that comes out of Acts chapter 16 and it says here, Saint Lydia of Thyatira, pray for us. And you and I know that there is only one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So here is another mediator if we pray to Lydia, and Lydia will pray to God, and it will be better for us. So that's wrong, wrong teaching. And then in the middle is St. John, the, the guy who wrote Revelation, who wrote the Gospel of John. And there is a tradition that he was dunked into boiling oil, and miraculously, he was unharmed. And he died a, a natural death. And so, he became St. John, the patron saint of what? Those who trade in wax and oil. Kind of gross, right? Uh, better still is St. Bartholomew, the one on the right. And I think he was a missionary somewhere and they actually skinned him alive. Right? They peeled off his skin. And so he became the patron saint of tanners, those who do leather work. How gross and how sick can this be? But it continues. So what happened to Thyatira at the end? A very sad ending. And I came across three documents. First one on the left, September 1974, the biblical archaeologist. There has been no Christian community in Akhisa, which is a modern name, uh, a modern name for Thyatira, since 1922. The middle document, which was published in 2005, in August 1922, as a result of the capture of the city by the Turkish Nationalist Army, an estimated 7,000 Greeks were killed. Since then, there has been no Christian community in Akisa. And then the last one, which was published in June 2018 by the International Mission Board, the Southern Baptist uh, Missions uh, Agency, there is no church in Akisa and no known believers. Gone. Gone. I still couldn't believe it, so I went to Google. Brethren Church... Akisa, nothing. Methodist Church, Akisa, nothing. Anglican Church, Akisa, nothing. Jezebel won. Jezebel won. Only, and how? Tolerate. You just tolerate 
what Jezebel was teaching. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. What is that word tolerate in Greek, aphimi? Uh, it variously translates as you just allowed it, you gave permission, you left it alone, you permitted it, you tolerated it. And I think a modern day word for, for this is whatever. Yeah, whatever. Whatever Jezebel wants to do, whatever. But it is so clear to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 onwards, say, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. If you know what a yoke is, right, you put a yoke on, on a cow or a water buffalo, and then they have this double yoke. So put two cows together, fine. Two water buffaloes together, but you put one donkey and one cow, it's unequally yoked. So you cannot walk the same style, you cannot walk the same speed, you cannot pull with the same strength or power. So do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. Be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. It's a very clear path to take. You do not be unequally yoked. But the modern day equivalent of guilts even though there are no formal guilds in, in many professions, there is an equivalent of the old days in almost every profession. And there are perversions in almost any profession. Say you are a calefare. Anybody don't know what's a calefare? Say you are just a very lowly actor, okay, in, in some movie, and you are in a movie... Um, done by Jack Neal, okay? And, and typical of these Chinese movies, they always launch the movie with food sacrificed to idols. Everybody carries a joystick, pray for the success uh, of the movie, no accidents and all that. So if you're a caliphate, you're just low down the food chain, some small two-bit actor in Jack Neal's movie, would you separate from them? Would you say, I do not participate in this because I am a disciple of Jesus Christ? Maybe you would. Then I salute you. Right? You honour God above your profession. But let's up the stakes a bit. What if it were not Jack Neal? What if it were another Jack? What if it were Jackie Chan? Hey, big time, man. Big time actor. Would you still say, Jackie Chan, I am not participating in this. You can sack me, but I am not participating in this. If you do that, I salute you. Disciple of Jesus Christ. I also think about my first job in the Air Force, nine years there. There was no guilt per se, but there are guilt-like characteristics. It's got its own rituals, it's got its own jargon, it's got its own philosophy where aggression, macho, machismo is highly valued and promoted. So I entered flying training school. I was then Tuba, Lieutenant, the boss, head of flying school, at uh, some function, came to me and said, Lieutenant Tang, why are you only drinking Coke? You want to be a pilot, you better drink beer, okay? So I had to say to him, Sir, uh, I don't really want to drink beer. So, marked down already. And one day, uh, this was when I think I was a captain, and my boss, who later became a general, became a politician, we were just sitting together, chatting, and he was thinking, you know, Kofai, why is it that Singapore pilots don't smoke. He said, I go to Israel and all their pilots smoke. It suggests that they are on the edge. They are highly stressed and, and they are aggressive. Um, and they are, you know, they are just all out to, to, to fight. And I think our pilots are too namby-pamby. So I what? So, to be fully in the guilt of the Air Force, you need to drink, you need to smoke. Then you will go places. Do you want to do that? 
Do you say, Ayah, whatever lah, okay? Ayah, whatever lah. Pick one. Second job is in international business. I was traveling all over the world. My first business trip was to Paris, to the Paris Air Show. You know the Singapore Air Show? This is the big one, much bigger. Le Bourget is the name of the town. So daytime in Le Bourget, nighttime in Pigalle. You know where's Pigalle? Pigalle is a red light district of Paris. Okay, everybody goes there. All my businessman colleagues go there. And my European businessman will buy us dinner in uh, Moulin Rouge or, or the Lido, where you cannot even drink Coke, okay? The, the drink there is champagne, only champagne. Uh, and then they plunk a simple piece of meat before you, and, and really the, the food was not the thing. The highlight is the show. Okay, where half-naked ladies dance, they dance the can-can and all that. And I'm ashamed to admit to you that I joined the gang. I just said, whatever. Since I was so young, I'd like never been to Paris before, and all the businessmen were going, so I just went along. But the images of those semi-naked ladies stay in your mind for a very long time. And you're constantly tempted. And, and I, I call this high-class porn. Because you know, very respectable people, they dress up and then they have meal with champagne and then you watch this uh, high-class porn. And Pigal was also something that I learned that uh, I always thought like prostitutes, uh, so if you want to pick up a prostitute, you will drive your car and then you kind of like see the ladies of the street and you will invite them in. But in Pigal it's different. It's the ladies who drive not just any car but BMWs. Okay, I think that's why you should never drive a BMW. <laughs> they, they drive BMWs and they pick up customers. It's the other way around. I'm not sure about now, but that was in the, in the mid-80s. So there's such a, a defilement of, of, of the mind. And how did it start? Yeah, whatever, like, you know, everybody's going. It's the thing to do. Uh, I don't want to be a... a, a, a you just join the crowd. Third job. Third job is my longest serving job, 20 years and counting, pastor. And I heard a sermon once which says that pastors are exposed to the dangers of vanity and insecurity. So pastors are also in a guilt, a trade guilt of vanity and insecurity, a guilt of success to address our insecurity, a guilt of popularity to satisfy our vanity. And many years ago, an elder of a church came to my office and asked me to join his church to become the senior pastor there. And that church is larger than PPH. And he said, how much is PPH paying you? Uh? I'll double it. So I said, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> no, just kidding. I didn't say that because I really, really was stunned into silence. I said, even in the business world, this kind of thing seldom happens when you come up to you and say, I'll double it and, and you join me just because it's, it's money and I can buy you. And it's happening in a church. So, what do we learn from Thyatira? Two very, very simple lessons. Beware of spiritual idolatry. Beware of sexual immorality. And they all begin insidiously with a so-called tolerance, with an attitude of whatever, the definition of insidious is it develops so gradually as to become well-established before you even know it. It's just creeping in. What is an idol? I'm sure we all know. It does not need to be a statuette of stone or bronze or, or whatever metal, right? Someone defined it as this. Idolatry is loving more than God what ought to be loved less than God. It doesn't even need to be bad. It can be a good thing, but it has taken place of God. So success can be an idol. It's good to have success, but if you put success or worldly success above God, it's become an idol. So security, approval, relationships, children, spouse, wealth, food, nice things, career, jobs, phones, all can be idols if they take the place of God. And this is it's never more real than uh, 
and this season, Chinese New Year, right? Where everybody is kind of like sizing everybody up, okay? Uh, where do you live? How big your house is? What district number? The brand of your car? What shoes you're wearing? What your t-shirt? Uh, what, what the latest phone that you have? Uh, my children are going to this elite junior college and my children have gone into this elite university. Everybody is kind of like sizing everybody up. John Calvin, uh, a reformer in the 16th century, said, man's nature is a per perpetual factory of idols. And he says, you discard one and you simply recreate another one. So discarding actually doesn't work. What works? From the Bible, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I had a bit of difficulty with this verse, uh, but later on I, I checked several uh, sources and put the death, da 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 da, covetousness, which is idolatry. So it defines covetousness as idolatry. To covet something is very good. It could be a very pure desire to, to covet something, but when that coveting is perverted, that good desire can go perverted, then it becomes idolatry. So we need to ask ourselves, WWGG, what is that? What would glorify God? Does this thing that we desire glorify God or take the place of God? If it does not glorify God, then crucify it. It's got to be put to death. You cannot just discard it for a while because it will come back. And we'll continue to be this factory that manufactures more and more idols in our lives. So firstly, idolatry. Secondly, sexual immorality. Three kinds. Fornication, which is uh, having sex outside of marriage. Adultery, which is having sex with somebody that is not your spouse within marriage. And, and, and thirdly, pornography, which is, which is the lust of the eye. And again, it is very insidious. It just happens slowly, slowly, and before you know it, you are deep into it. The story is told of a Sunday school teacher who was having some difficulty teaching her very, very young kids about the Ten Commandments. She managed the first six commandments very well. Thou shalt not kill was quite easy. Show a couple of pictures. But seventh commandment is what? Thou shalt not commit adultery. And then she had a brainwave. And so she showed a picture of a man milking a cow. What a man milking a cow got to do with adultery unless it's bestiality. You know? And then she showed this picture that they were diluting the milk with water. And I said, yes, adulteration. You're just diluting it. It's very little, right? If you maybe put in 10% and you can have 10% more profit because by volume, your milk uh, is small. An adulteration of God's perfect design for marriage. Adultery. And spiritual adultery is the same. And it's very insidious. The definition, developing so gradually as to be well established before becoming a parent. So question is, how adulterated is PPH spirituality? Okay, let me take you back three years to 2017. You remember? We had this massive survey, a whole life inventory. So, men and women, 10 to 33% of PPH men have fornicated. That means have had sex before marriage. 10 to 33. I think it starts very simply, right? Just uh, touch a little bit more, and then, hey, let's go on holiday together. Everybody's doing it, so what's the problem? Everybody does it. 17 to 34% of PPH women have fornicated three years ago. 5 to 8% of our men have had adultery. And three years ago, 0% of women in the survey. 18% of PPH men have viewed pornography more than once a week, more than 52 times in a year. And among our youth and young adults, 44% to 70% have viewed porn 
more than once a week. So are we adulterated? Spiritual idolatry, sexual immorality cannot be tolerated. It's got to be put to death. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. It's got to be crucified. So I have been crucified with Christ. In the life, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it cannot be tolerated. You cannot just say, yeah, whatever, whatever. That is not the word to use. And whatever you say about spiritual idolatry, whatever you say about sexual immorality, is don't say whatever. Don't say whatever. Don't just tolerate a little bit. So it brings me back to time, talent, and treasures. How do we view it? The Bible says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you look through our expense account and we, we, we actually subscribe to pornography or, or whatever, anything that is above God, then you, can, you know very well where your heart is. But can we look at time as well? What do we invest our time in? Something that is taken the place of God? Everything, every time I think about time, I think about punctuality. <laughs> it's like, I cannot get it. I cannot get it. Who among us uh, will habitually be late for school or a business meeting? Um, so there is this, I cannot fathom it, the, the, the inconsistency, right? You will never be late for a business meeting, but it's okay to be to be late for church. So you have placed your, your vocation, your business above God. That to me is kind of like so simple, right? That's the logic. Why is that so? But if you are habitually late for business and you're habitually late for church, then at least you're consistent, okay? <laughs> and you're a lost cause. And I found out there's a patron saint of lost causes, Saint Jude. Okay, if, if you if you go that, that way. But it, it's actually a good thing. Is it? If you feel like you're a lost cause, then you pray to St. Jude, who will help people with lost causes. But anyway, talent. How are we using our talents for God? Do you honour your earthly boss, your spouse, your children, more than you honour your Heavenly Father? These are the things that we ought to be thinking about. I want to end with uh, just two stories of people who have thought things through, who at first were adulterated, but was courageous enough to change. I have a very good friend um, when I was working in Hong Kong. He was my cell group member. And every time we meet, he's got this twisted feeling inside his stomach because he works for a company called Send Me a Gal. Okay, it's not pornography, it's San Miguel. San Miguel, okay, beer company. And every time he feel like, yeah, Kofa, you know, I'm working for this company and it just felt so uncomfortable. But one day he just quit. He said, I cannot continue working for a company which, I know it's okay to drink a small beer once in a while, but actually they want to promote more and more drunkenness. So you... Is it better to have a customer who drinks seven beers a night than to have one who drinks one, right? So, it promotes drunkenness. So, he just quit. And then he found another job. I said, salute to you. Okay, you lift your faith out. And recently, I've been reading this book called Unplanned by a lady called Abby Johnson. Abby Johnson graduated from university with psychology and counselling and she really wanted to help women in trouble. So she joined Planned Parenthood. It's a great name, Planned Parenthood. And her mission, she thought, was to advise ladies on contraception, uh, abstinence. But more and more, she found out that it was about abortion. In this room, you counsel ladies. In the other room, you're performing abortions. And then a crunch came when they felt that... Uh, they could not meet their expenses. So the order came from on top to say, increase the number of abortions. Abortions is good money. They get the most money from abortions. 
And still for eight years she worked there. She became the director of this center, which handles thousands of abortions a year. And as a Christian, she continued to work there because a little, she wanted to do counseling, and then there was this little bit of abortion. This little bit of abortion grew and grew and grew into the thousands until one day the doctor asked her to come in to help in what is called uh, ultrasound-assisted abortion. And there she was able to see what happens. And she said she's been so brainwashed, just a little adulteration, to say that these are not babies, these are fetuses. Right? And up to 24 weeks, it is not survivable outside the womb. So it's okay to remove, it's just like a, a piece of tissue. But she saw for, it was her own eyes on the ultrasound when the probe went in that the baby was avoiding it. It was the baby fighting against the probe. And then the doctor said, beam me up, Scotty. You know, like, was it Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. It just sucked up the baby. And there she, she, she fell apart and she quit. She just went across the road to Coalition for Life and she fought, still fighting against abortion. But can you imagine for eight years, that little bit of adulteration just took over the whole organization. The organization says, yes, increase abortion, more money. So, we got to be very careful with spiritual idolatry, with sexual immorality. And you cannot tolerate it. You cannot let it become so insidious and adulterate a little bit because that a little bit will swallow you up. Let me ask the worship team to come and help out with a song, a song about purity. What happened to the Thyatiran church? It's no more. 2018, I hope between June 2018 and now, there's some fellowship of evangelical Christians worshipping in Thyatira now. But as far as we know, no more. It started off with a little bit of toleration. PPH, would this church one day be no more? Your own family, would one day there be no witness in your family? We've gone totally the way of the world. The Lord Jesus says the churches are watching Thyatira and our children, our relatives, our friends are watching us. We tolerate this a little bit and before we know it, we'll be swallowed up. So stick to the narrow, stick to the straight and narrow. Obey. God's commandments are not too burdensome. It is for our good. It is for the sanctification of society. Idolatry, immorality. These are the two things that we cannot compromise. Let's rise as we sing this song of, of purity.
before the Lord in prayer the Lord is loving the Lord is gracious the Lord knows our heart the Lord is ready to forgive anyone who comes to him sincerely he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness pray for ourselves that if we do that same survey today there will be no graph to show it'll all be zero percentage no sexual immorality no idolatry because our heart are fully chasing after God no one else there is no one above God in our lives examine our own time, our talents and our treasures. Where are these now? Because that's where our heart will be also. And so let's commit to spend our time on everything that is wholesome and righteous. Let's not have small toleration enter into our spending of our time and our talents too where we work what we study is holy and righteous before Him and if it is not put it to death crucify it be separate from it get out from it and see if God will reward your faith and bring you something better something holy, something righteous. Let's make a dedication of our lives, our time, our talent, our treasures to God. Sanctify it, Lord. Make it holy before you. Above you, there is none else. Everything under God is in good order because you bless you favor the righteous. You give us strength to persevere. You give us courage to be separate from, to put to death, to crucify the flesh and all these evil desires. 
So God, I pray. I pray for your people here in PPH that our lampstand will not be removed like it was in Thyatira. Instead, it will be placed on a stand. It will burn bright for you. It will show the world that these are people who call upon, upon the name of the Lord. So in each one of our lives, as we get back into school, into the marketplace, shine for Him. Be separate from evil. Do not tolerate anything that is unholy. Set yourselves apart for Him. Set for the believers an example in your speech, in your life. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. This is the desire of our hearts. We make that commitment to you, Heavenly Father. Cleanse us. Set us up once again to live that righteous life for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.